Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by... Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. Looking for a way to build daily prayer discipline? Seen the rise in mindfulness meditation, but not sure if it is possible to meditate in a way that's consistent with your Catholic faith? Just looking for a way to breathe new life into your existing prayer routine? No matter what you're looking for, Hollow is here to help. Hollow is a Catholic prayer and meditation app that helps users deepen their relationship with God through audio-guided contemplative prayer sessions. From meditations on the daily gospel to the rosary to daily examines, Hollow has something for everyone. Hollow is the number one Catholic app in the U.S. It is free to download and has permanently free content, but you can also check out all of the premium sessions for 30 days, risk-free, by signing up at www.hollow.app/breadbox. By definition, a storyteller conveys events in words, images, and sounds, often by improvisation or embellishment. The Living Bread Radio Network presents The Storytellers with Tony Agnesi. Today you'll hear a faith-based, inspirational story that's both heartfelt and heartwarming. And now, let's meet today's storyteller with Tony Agnesi. Hi, this is Tony Agnesi, and welcome to this edition of The Storytellers. This is episode number eight. We're in our third season. You can see The Storytellers on the Fiat Ministry Network and on Patchwork Heart Ministries. And the uh, video program appears on my website at TonyAgnesi.com and on my YouTube page, YouTube.com slash TonyAgnesi. The radio program airs with the stations on the Living Bread Radio Network. Each week on the program, we feature an inspirational guest and discuss not only their personal faith journey and the ministries they share as authors or speakers, bloggers, radio, television hosts, teachers, and so forth. And today is no exception. Charles Franny is the author of two books, Slaying Dragons, What Exorcists See and What You Should Know, and Swords and Shadows, Navigating Youth Amidst the Wilds of Satan. Those books here, I'll give you a little shot of those books, if I can do it without getting too much glare from the from the lighting here. And we're going to get into those books uh, uh, as, as we go. Um, and uh, Charles has a master's degree in theology, uh, art master's in arts and theology, as well as advanced apostolic catechetical diploma. He's been a teacher for a long time, and he's been writing for over 20 years. And Charles, welcome to the program. Great to have you on the Storytellers. Yeah, great. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. Let's talk a little bit about your faith journey, kind of, and, and what brings us up to uh, your writing these books. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your uh, journey in faith. Sure. So um, um, I was brought up Catholic in a, a divided home. My mom was uh, Presbyterian. She eventually converted when I was a senior in high school. And um, so the faith was a little bit 
week. Uh, my, both my parents were, were great parents, and people have remarked about that. They taught us a lot of uh, good virtues and things. But the practice of the faith was not as strong as, as uh, it really needed to be. And uh, my, you know, when I was a kid, my personal faith was, um, was, was not good at all. Like my brother, after my conversion, I had a massive conversion when I was 20, 20 or 21, um, coming out of a big depression. My brother told me later on that uh, I used to hate going to mass when I was in high school, middle school. And I, I remember trying to get out of mass, never enjoying mass, um, only a few times, like when I was eight, when I was uh, in eighth grade, a couple key moments, I remember that something kind of clicked for me when it came to the spiritual life, when it came to how God's working. Um, but my life was unfortunately oppressed from the age of five by teasing. And it was for big ears um, from the age of five all the way till junior in high school. And that really eventually became like the defining, what God allowed to define my life was this teasing and the way I reacted to it. Uh, eventually, it, it, uh, I lost a lot of friends. Um, I was slowly becoming a very anxious and depressed person. I internalized a lot, and that had a big impact. Um, by the time I was a senior in high school, I almost, uh, I developed a, a stress-induced um, like eating disorder or digestive, digestive disorder, I guess I should mm -hmm. say, um, which caused me to almost drop out of high school. I barely finished high school and most people didn't know how bad it was. I, I had to go on all these diets and things to figure out what was wrong with me, but I knew uh, deep down inside that it was, um, well, I, though I didn't put it all together, I knew it was stress-induced, stress stress-related, and that's what the doctors figure out, figured out as well. When I went to college, um, again, this whole time, I had like, I was going to a, a youth group at a Presbyterian community with a bunch of my friends. Only one of them was Presbyterian. He had Anglicans, Catholic, Methodist, mm -hmm. Baptist, Presbyterian. It was, it was good. I did not learn what I needed to know. I did not learn catechesis on morals, on who God really was. Some things were given to me which helped protect me from going too far with the depression. You know, with depression comes you know, suicidal thoughts. And I was not, uh, those were not foreign to me during that time from middle school all the way through the end of high school, really struggling with the depression and the anxiety. Um, so certain things that happened that I think were God's subtle actions securing me um, so that he could work on me later. So during college, I had this um, complete, you know, self implosion, self destruction because of the anxiety and depression dropped out of college um, tried myself to sleep literally for three months, four months. Um, but in the middle of that, God was preparing me. I was basically despairing, you know, crying out to God, barely sleeping at night, staying up all night, just writing poetry and drawing things, trying to figure out why I was so depressed and pushing God away. But at the same time, I was actively engaging him by pushing him away and by blaming everything on him. So at least I was talking to him. You know, I, I didn't think it was going to be going to be meritorious at all at that point. But then he started to interact. He gave me um, just a you know, long story short, gave me certain concrete signs that, that I could observe. And I always tell the kids because I teach high school that I was um, a hellbound pagan at this point. Irreligious, didn't know how to pray, didn't know who God was, didn't know what morals were, didn't know what sin was, never went haven't been to confession since my first confession. Couldn't tell you what a mortal sin was versus a venial sin or even what a venial sin was. Um, so I had no religious, you know, life. And then God started to interact with me and trigger something, trigger an interest. And as soon as I responded to it, 
again, I'm, I'm glossing over a really big story, but as soon as I responded to it, this like the floodgates of grace started to open. I went from being this, you know, pagan kid who never prayed, didn't know anything about the faith, didn't really understand the Eucharist, priesthood, anything. Um, I wanted to be a priest. All of a sudden, it was like zero to 60 or from, from black to white. Mm. I didn't even know what a priest was, <laughs> but I wanted to be a priest. And then I slowly, I began the slow um, progression out of the anxiety and depression. It really, it took a long time, but God began to do tremendous things. Um, about a year after, so I came back to mass. I, I had abandoned mass after high school, didn't miss it, never felt an absence. Um, even like consciously observed when I was in college, people going to Ash Wednesday mass. I'm like, oh, right. It's Ash Wednesday. Eh, you know, whatever. <laughs> it was um, a lot of uh, kind of animosity towards the faith. Um, but then when I, one of the big things I did was I went back to mass when I sensed that God was interacting with me. And I went back to mass as somebody that was crippled by anxiety. My therapist referred to it as a crippling anxiety disorder with social anxiety. Like the last thing you want to do is go out in public, but I would go out in public once a week to go to mass, even though I couldn't stand being there. I liked it in certain ways, but a lot of anxiety. So I responded, kept going for a year, very, very difficult year, uh, still extremely depressed, even though I was praying finally somewhat. But a year later, God introduced me to St. Francis of Assisi, uh, Mother Teresa, I heard the term divine providence for the first time. I was now actively discerning the priesthood uh, with some a group of um, guys who wanted to be priests as well. They got me back to confession, to daily mass, to adoration, taught me what the Eucharist was. Like, I didn't know these things. It was really, really funny how little I knew. But then more floodgates opened and my whole life changed. It was really pivoting around confession, which is I didn't know then, this is 20 years ago, but that's one of the keys that exorcists teach when it comes to blocking the diabolical and opening up grace and really starting the healing process, which repels demons even further from you. It's all about confession. Um, so, and that's when it started. Um, just God gave, one of the big things he gave me was this tremendous sense of peace. And I knew, I knew that Christ was the source of peace. He had revealed this to me, essentially. Um, the, the prior summer, and then now the, this next year, about a year and a half after my conversion, he just just dumped this grace on me that was an intoxicating, overwhelming peace that changed my whole way of thinking about life. And I really needed some serious, serious help because of the depression and the anxiety. And he gave it to me. That's the thing. And it carried me uh, toward the seminary. Uh, eventually I discerned I was not called to the priesthood and, and I left, I left happier than I had ever been because I was finally understanding. And that was partly the healing from the depression and anxiety. God drew me to the priesthood, I think, because he could heal me more deeply by giving me all these priest friends, bishop friends, seminary and formation programs, which are so unique. Most people don't get those, get the privilege of that. And then when I left, realizing I'm not called to be the priesthood, I was the happiest I'd ever been, even though I never expected to say no to the priesthood. Mm. And then... So part of your discernment process was that, was, was understanding that you had been drawn to this for a purpose, but that necessarily wasn't your vocation. Correct. correct. And then as soon as I said, yes, I will do whatever you want, Lord, like I will let go of my attachment. I was really attached to the priesthood uh, for a good reason. It's, it's a powerful thing. As soon as I said, yes, I'll do whatever, all the doors started to open for my vocation. And more graces came, like completing the healing from the depression. It was almost like it was done. 100% healing kind of arrived. And then I met my, who would be my future wife, 
four months later without even looking. Um, started, I got my first teaching job, uh, finished my master's, got my high school job. Everything started to just fall into place. Um, but it wasn't finished. I didn't realize like 10 years ago when I got married, I didn't realize how much more our Lord wanted to do. And that's when these books emerged and this whole spiritual warfare journey that, that I entered in on. Now I really feel like, you know, still like a baby Catholic. I have so much more to, to learn, absorb and, and process and become. Um, so he's still doing a ton of work. Let's talk about the books a little bit. And first of all, uh, where, you know, when you start discussing things like spiritual warfare and exorcism, um, you know, most Catholics have heard these words, but uh, quite honestly, don't give it much thought and don't know much about them. Uh, what interested you in the, in the whole concept of spiritual warfare and, and uh, uh, demon possession and, and, and talking about uh, things like exorcism? Yeah, I've, th- I've thought about that quite a bit. And in the, the youth book, Swords and Shadows, I really, um, I wrote that when I was writing Slaying Dragons. Slaying Dragons is the big research project, the, the big deal that really changed, changed my life in a lot of ways a couple of years ago when I was writing it. But it, it started really when I, at my conversion, because one of the graces that our Lord gave me was dreams, lots of very vivid prophetic dreams, dreams that it gave me graces that changed my life through the dream. It was really profound. But one of the dreams I had was a, a series of dreams, five dreams over a series of over um, like three years, five dreams. And they picked up where the last one left off. It was like a, a series of dreams. I never heard of it, but it all involved the devil and his efforts of seducing me to his side. I still don't know if these were from our Lord revealing to me what the devil was up to, or if it was the devil actually trying to kind of break me back down because it it didn't, it had the opposite effect. It was like teaching me, showing me what the devil was up to, but I, I didn't know completely what to make of it or what to do with it. This is, you know, 20 years ago, one year after my conversion, but it set the stage, I think. It was the first seed of what he was going to teach me 20 years later, which was just you know, two years ago, 2017 was when it all started. So my interest was really because um, when I was teaching and after I got married, I, being a former seminarian, I wanted to continue to make spiritual progress. I was doing all these research projects, working on all these books. I've never, <laughs> didn't finish any of those, but and, you know, trying to have a good spiritual life, especially because I teach theology to high schoolers who, who really need a strong uh, role model, a strong example, and someone who's f- full of grace as much as I could be. But I hit this point in 2017 where I felt like I was at a spiritual plateau, that I couldn't make any more progress. And I didn't understand it, and I didn't like it. I didn't like the idea that this was as holy as I could become. So I started talking to priests I knew, all of whom I didn't know were trained in spiritual warfare, Uh, Some that I've gotten to know, you know, as a former seminarian or exorcist, I really started to understand that. And I wanted their advice. Like, what could you do, Father? I feel like I've got this baggage, a spiritual baggage from my miscreant youth and my depression and anxiety. And they said, well, there are some things you could do. Deliverance prayers, you know, uh, renunciations, binding prayers, all these things. Like, oh, those, those, that sounds very interesting. And, and there was a lot of fruit that could come from it. So I, some of them took me through like a 45 day journey spirit with a spiritual focus. And they started to teach me about uh, exorcists, what exorcists could teach. And I didn't know exorcists were like publish their conferences, write books. And they're on all these videos and audios, a lot of stuff we could study. So I started to um, just continue this. I was in a process of a spiritual renewal. 
And I didn't know what it was going to do. I didn't know where it was going to go. I just felt like I had some baggage. I wasn't as holy as I wanted to be. And I didn't know what to do. So again, I'm saying yes, asking the church through these priests to help me. And they push me in the direction of these exorcists. And as I study things, I'm like, I start hearing all these things that the demons can do, that fathers of families can do, the power of sacraments and sacramentals, what holy water, blessed salt, blessed candles, blessed oil, all these things can do. And I'm like, I've never heard, like I have a master's in theology and like, I haven't heard half of this stuff ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, along the way of being a seminarian, I talked to a lot of priests and they would tell me stories about, you know, possessions. Some would go to exorcism conferences and tell me some stories. I'm like, oh, that's, that's interesting. But I didn't know what to do with any of it. So something just clicked when I was doing this research. And I think the baggage, the sense of baggage that I felt, the lack of spiritual progress I could make was related to sins of my youth. You know, I kind of didn't dabble in the occult, and that's too strong of a word, but I, I was curious, too curious, and kind of, you know, played with a Ouija board, did some different things that kids do, but never really got deep in it. But just a couple times is dangerous enough. And with the depression and the anxiety, I really think I had some, some diabolical uh, like tagalongs, as I want to call it, just these nagging voices that would not go away. And I, as I studied the exorcist teachings, I was diagnosing what was going on. And I realized that this was not normal. This could be preternatural, not that I was possessed or anything, but the, demon, the demons mess with all of us. And that if I start doing these things, renunciations, binding prayers, using holy water, blessed salt, blessed oil, blessed candles, all these things, there's power in those. I started studying what the blessings said in the old rite, what the actual blessings say. They're really strong. The church is really anti-Satan in all of her rituals. Like we, The church takes the, de- the diabolical seriously, but I didn't. Most people don't because we don't know what it is or how demons work. But these exorcists can teach us the the tactics of demons, what their motivation is, what their tricks are, how they try to wound you and then play on those wounds and like make be like a puppeteer if they can get you to, to play their game, but that you could stop the whole thing. Um, so I learned how to stop the whole thing and I started to, to do what the exorcists were saying. And again, like the floodgates opened and it all pivoted around a confession. I went to confession one time with one of the priests who was mentoring me and then God just one day I didn't do anything special, just went to confession and he gave me this grace that showed me it was, it sounds too good to be true, but it was like he pulled back the veil and I saw exactly what Satan's plan was against me, like the whole thing. And I knew from my te- from what I had learned and this grace, I knew what I was supposed to do to fight back, binding prayer renunciations and just praying the way these exorcists had taught. And my spiritual life, this was a year and a half ago, my whole spiritual life changed, mm-hmm. you know, fundamentally. We always depict, I, I remember the old cartoon, Charles, of, um, you know, the devil on one shoulder and a guardian angel on the other shoulder. And the devil is whispering in this year and the guardian angel is whispering in this year. And sometimes we make the right move and occasionally right. we make the wrong move. How close to reality is that? depiction yeah the i guess it's, it's pretty close the the only thing is we don't have a guardian demon like we have a guardian angel god who's the the creator who makes all the rules all the laws he assigns us a guardian angel who is there by god's decree and will never leave we'll never want to leave because he's perfect he's holy and um this this priest who had been mentoring me he said something very profound which i've never forgotten and i've woven into my books and just is that everybody know, everybody knows that god has a plan for you 
But not everybody realizes that Satan has a plan for you too. Like he has devised a tactic to tear you down, to take you down and damn you with him. So we have to figure out what that is. So there are, you know, demons that kind of prowl around us. But the, the difference is that we can make them go away, you know, with the power of Christ, the name of Jesus, the sacramentals and sacraments of the church, we can make them go away. Mm-hmm. And that's the big difference. Are there certain people, Charles, that are more vulnerable than others? And, and, and if so, why is that? Yeah. Um, well, speaking from experience, I think I was vulnerable to, to diabolical influences when I was a kid because I, was, I felt like I had no friends. I did not turn to God for his help. I probably was not in a state of grace, and that makes you vulnerable. And I was depressed. So, uh, so I think it was St. Francis de Sales talks about how the devil loves melancholy. He loves depression. He's essentially depressed, the devil. Um, and, but he's viciously angry as a result of that depression. So people with exorcists teach that when we're wounded, it makes us vulnerable. Um, and when we're not in a state of grace, like those are the two big ones. If you're not in a state of grace, you are, you know, kind of in the diabolical territory. There are two kingdoms on the earth, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of God. You're either in one or the other. There's no like middle ground. If you're in a state of grace, you're in the kingdom of God, you're protected. Um, Though if you're not smart, you could still be vulnerable and the devil could trip you now in your state of sin. Uh, But if you dwell in a state of mortal sin, you do not have sanctifying grace and you could become possessed. Most people don't, but you could be. To get you. Mm-hmm. Those are stages, right? There are several stages that that you can that you can go through and and can people identify that they might be in certain stages on their own? Yeah, I would say so cuz when I was doing all the research and started to apply the teachings, you know, we don't want to self-diagnose without the church's counsel. Um, but I really think I had some kind of diabolical obsession. A diabolical obsession is is when they bombard your mind with something, with ideas, with images, with um, mottos, philosophies to to kind of crush you and draw you down into sin. I haven't heard an exorcist say the thought what I'm about to say, but it makes sense that there would be degrees of diabolical obsession. Some that could drive you crazy and drive you to suicide, and some that could just burden you and keep you kind of like a a robot always doing the same sin over and over again because they've just got you on this loop. And I think that's where I was. They had me on this loop. They they were messing with my mind and my thoughts so much that I didn't even notice. I didn't know it was happening. I thought it was just me, that I was just weak. And we are weak. Um, And one of the things, I can't remember which exorcist it was, said it's very difficult to distinguish between our own thoughts and temptations ideas that demons are putting into our mind. And so we should always kind of be on our guard that it could be part of a plot, you know, a diabolical plot, these temp- tempting thoughts, these indecent thoughts that we're having. Um, so people with, I guess, another, um, another class, so to speak, of people that would be um, vulnerable is people in, uh, who have habitual mortal sins, who are in a lifestyle of mortal sin that there it's going to erode your prayer life, erode your, your ability to meditate, your ability to, to care if you're having evil thoughts. And then the, the demons can just move right in. And their plot is to slowly destroy your life, not to just hang around and cause you to sin constantly, but they want it to ramp up. They want it to go somewhere. 
and and they can they can take it somewhere because if you're if you're not blocking their work then they can they can work we always so we you know i guess from movies and so forth the exorcist and so forth we we see about uh, devil possession and and i guess that would be the ultimate stage uh, you know possession what are some of the things that just the average christian the average catholic can do uh, I know you mentioned uh, confession. What's the role of confession? And are there certain prayers and things that are going to be helpful to all of us? And and what can we? Are there some of those things in your books that we can that we can gather? Sure. Um, so first, the the role of confession is to restore you to a state of sanctifying grace, and that's the fortification where you are bound to Christ, and He lives in you, He abides in you, and the demons fear you at that point. Like they fear the saints. Uh, the saints interact in a lot of exorcisms and help drive away the, the demons, especially Our Lady and then St. Michael, the other angels. So a state of grace pushes them away because they don't want to go anywhere near you. Uh, so that's the big thing with, with confession. Um, so prayers, uh, the binding prayer is something that exorcists talk, talk about and renunciation. So the binding prayers is in the book um, it's in one of the chapters. I don't think it's in the appendix. There's one prayer in the appendix of slaying dragons. Swords and Shadows has the binding prayer in the appendix as well. But it's a very simple concept. It's um, essentially in the name of Jesus, I bind you spirit of whatever is, is tempting you. And I cast you to the foot of the cross to receive your judgment or to be judged. So you could, you know, the wording is not um, at the end can be, can be modified, but then renouncing, like if you have a strong desire you know, to say something cruel to someone because that's how you are habituated. You could say, you know, you stop yourself because I, in the name of Jesus, I bind you spirit of cruelty, spirit of hatred. And I cast you to the foot of the cross to receive your sentence. And I renounce all the times that I have embraced the spirit of cruelty and been cruel to other people. And then one of the things when I had that, that grace I referred to a year and a half ago is I wanted to add, and I choose to be obedient to Jesus Christ. So I, I felt this compulsion to renew my obedience, my, renew my commitment to him. So you will renounce Satan, you, you embrace Christ, you want to do both. And then, you know, the rosary is super, super powerful. The, the devil can't stand the Blessed Virgin Mary. And she, so he runs away from her and she can chase him down, you know, and further bind him, further push him away. Our Lady of Sorrows, the... Um, the chaplet of Our Lady of Sorrows is very powerful. Um, Our Lady Undoer of Knots, she's a very powerful intercessor. Um, and uh, uh, so the, the Hail Mary just on its own. Mm -hmm. These are very powerful, um, powerful prayers with the binding prayer, renunciation and, and confession. Like those, that's the powerhouse. That's what, what happened to me a year and a half ago where that grace entered was through confession renunciation and binding prayers and helps heal you. That's one of the big things. It helps heal you of past wounds and sins. Charles uh, Franny is my uh, guest. Uh, the books uh, are uh, Slaying Dragons, What Exorcists See and What You Should Know, and then a book for young adults uh, entitled Swords and Shadows, Navigating Youth Amidst the Wiles of Satan. Charles, how can, uh, how can they find the books and where can they find out more for, about you and, and your ministry? Sure. Yeah. Uh, both books are currently on Amazon and uh, I have a website. So yeah, Slaying Dragons, Swords and Shadows, you can find those on Amazon. I have a website too called the, the Slaying Dragons book.com. So the Slaying Dragons book.com. That's where I write 
um, almost, you know, well, two or three times a week, though, now that school started, you know, I had a, an extra long summer, kind of, because of the whole pandemic, we were home, you know, since March. So I'm not writing as much now, but there are lots of articles that I have written in the past year. Ever The book's been out for a year, Slaying Dragons, and I've written a lot of articles since then. Um, so if you go there, subscribe, and you'll get an email um, notification every time I, I do write something. And I've explored lots of topics that I started addressing in the book, you know, follow-ups, there are excerpts from the book. And um, one neat thing is with Swords and Shadows, a lot of people really like that book directed to youth. And it's actually um, going to be published. So it's all these books are self-published, but like, um, Swords and Shadows is going to be published by a Catholic publisher soon. So Excellent. Yeah. The one hang up with that is that I'm going to have to pull it from Amazon temporarily while it's, you know, beefed up, published, and then it'll reappear sometime in the spring. Well, we're out of time. Uh, uh, Charles, thank you so much for being with us. Um, um, and that's our show for today. Uh, my thanks to Charles Franny, who uh, has been with us. This has flown by. Uh, this yeah. has been a great half hour. The program premieres at 6 p.m. on Wednesday evenings. Be watching for it. It's episode uh, number eight. The radio program is produced by the Living Bread Network and is available at thestorytellersradio.com and later at the Catholic podcasting site, Breadbox Media. Anywhere you get your podcast, you can find it. Thanks again to Charles Franim. This is Tony Agnesi. We'll see you again next week with another edition of The Storytellers. God bless you. you've enjoyed today's edition of the storytellers with tony agnesi to learn more about today's storyteller go to the storytellersradio.com there you can subscribe to the podcast and hear all of our past shows and join us again next week at the same time for the storytellers with tony agnesi Finding someone on an online Catholic dating site shouldn't be like shopping for a blender. So why do most dating sites leave you feeling like you're shopping for a spouse? At Catholic Singles, we connect members through our unique user polls and activities, which help you discover other members and their personalities and interests. Because you're a person, not a profile picture. So stop shopping and start discerning. Trust your love story to the original Catholic dating site and use the promo code BREADBOX at checkout for 20% off at CatholicSingles.com.